If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 911, where is the emergency? Uh, yeah, not the emergency. Um, actually, on the Belmar Bridge, right after heading south in the middle of the bridge, there's a car that's abandoned. It's off to the side of the road. But The, the Belmar Bridge being the 35 Bridge? Uh, yeah, the 35 bridge would be going over the, going from north going south. Into Belmar. Into Belmar, yeah. Right. Hey, did you pass the midpoint? Because uh, up to the midpoint is Neptune, and after the midpoint is Belmar. Um, so, yeah, Neptune, actually. Technically, it was after, it looked like it was more on the Neptune side. So what kind of car is it? Uh, it kind of looks like an old, beat-up, light tan-colored, like, sedan. And uh, what was your name, sir? Um, I did, so if it's okay, I'd just rather be anonymous. And this is your cell number? The yeah, I'm driving Uber and Lyft tonight, so I just figured I'd give a call in. Because it's kind of hard to see, I think, if you're coming the other way. And uh, was there anybody inside the vehicle? I looked, no. Okay. Unless they were sleeping. I couldn't see them by their head being up. Nobody okay. was like in it. All right. Okay? On December 3rd, 2016... An abandoned 1994 Silver Oldsmobile 88 was found at about 2.45 a.m. on the side of the road at the highest point of the Route 35 bridge over the Shark River in Neptune Township, New Jersey. The river marks the border between Neptune Township and Belmar near the Atlantic coast. There's also Neptune City, which borders Neptune Township. Some reports say the car was found in Neptune, they don't differentiate between the two, and some say it was found in Belmar, but the 911 caller said the car was on the Neptune side. The car was in working order and the keys were in the ignition. Authorities found the car's registered owner, but when they went to their house, there was no answer. They found the front door unlocked, so they went inside for a welfare check. Mount yourself real well. Neptune City Police! Hello? Hello? Neptune City Police! Hello? Neptune City Police! Hello? Back here. Let's check down here first. Dog's, dog's in a cage right back there. Hello? It's the police department. Hello? Anybody home? Announce yourself, please. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Police department! Anybody here? Nothing so far. Hello? Police department! That door's locked. That's not good. Hello? That door's locked? That one locked door. Police department! 3558, you okay? We're checking the house. I gotta see. The resident is Mike Stern. I'm not sure who else you're looking for as far as uncle goes. I'm trying to locate Mike. Sir, is it Florida at this time? 
The house was owned by Michael Stern, and the car was registered to his mother at the same address. He had a 19-year-old daughter named Sarah, but none of them were at the house. Sarah's dog, Buddy, was in a crate in the house, and Sarah's friends said that she loved her dog and would never just leave him. At that point, authorities needed to find out where the Stern family was and why one of their cars was left abandoned on the bridge. This is Monsters. When authorities in the area around Neptune City learned of the abandoned car in working condition with the keys in the ignition parked on a bridge, their first thought was that somebody may have jumped. They found out pretty quickly that Michael Stern was in Florida, but they still weren't sure where his mother or Sarah was. It turned out that Sarah's mother, Carla Stern, died of cancer in 2013. They also learned that the last person to see Sarah was a longtime friend named Liam McAtasney. They went to the known address of Liam, which was his mother's house, but he didn't live there anymore. They spoke to his mother, Megan McAtasney, who said that Liam and Sarah were really good friends and had known each other since they were six years old. How long have you known, uh, how long have you known Sarah? First grade. Was first grade. Yeah. We, uh, I was actually homeschooled until seventh grade, but we went to CCD together in Bradley Beach. Okay. That's where I first met her. Um, and what is, uh, what's the extent of your relationship? Uh, I, I would say we're pretty close friends. More, more over the summer than during the winter, but we've still been pretty close. She actually, uh, I'm a lifeguard in Bradley Beach. She was a bad checker, so I saw her pretty much every day over the summer. You guarded Bradley? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where she was bad checker? Yep. Okay. What beach? Anywhere. All over the place. Same thing, around. Yeah, same, same same thing with her? Uh, yeah. She'd, she'd be all over the place. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, was she ever your girlfriend? No. Liam explained during his first interview with investigators that he had been homeschooled, but he met Sarah at Sunday school when he was in first grade. The two had never had a romantic relationship, and Sarah would be described by some as a tomboy. While police were at Megan's house, she called Sarah but got her voicemail. She then called Liam and told him the police were on their way over. He lived only a block away and arrived at his house at about 4 a.m., Liam, you Liam? You got yeah, a second? Can I come in and talk to you real quick? Yeah, no problem, officer. Is uh, Sarah here by chance? No. When was the last time you talked to her? I was with her today. What time? Uh, before I went to work. So it was earlier today? Yeah. When was the last time you had any kind of contact at all with her? Um, Turn some light on if you don't mind. I mean, we went to get food today. And you went to work over time? Uh, 4.30. Okay, so you haven't talked to her since 4.30? You have no. a cell phone you can reach out to her, to her on? I actually haven't been able to find my cell phone. Any idea where it's at? I've been calling it all day. At 4.59, I can't keep this. I haven't been able to talk to you. You don't know where your cell phone is? No. 
I have mine on me, so. Alright, keep looking for your cell phone, man, because uh, we're trying to find Sarah. But what was her mindset last time you talked to her? I just know she's been trying to get away. You can tell me she's going to Canada. Trying to get away, okay. Canada, she's been real depressed lately. Her dad is crazy. Okay, and then she's dealing with the loss of her mother. Her dad's in yeah. Florida right now, right? Her dad, yeah. He's coming back today, I guess. I don't know what time it is. Where's the grandma? Grandma's actually sick. Where's she's, the grandma at right now? She's not at the house. She's staying with, him, with some family member. Okay. Grandma's coming home right now. She's at Sharon's. Uh, Police hoped that Sarah was at Liam's house, but unfortunately she wasn't. They learned that Sarah's grandmother was sick and staying with a friend of the family. The neighborhood that the Stearns and McAtasneys lived in seemed like a tight community, and a neighbor told officers that Grandma was being brought back to her home right then. With that information, they were left with only Sarah to locate. Sarah Stern was born on March 24, 1997, and grew up in the Neptune area, and was an only child to Michael and Carla Stern. She went to Neptune High School and had a large group of friends, including Liam McAtasney and another friend named Preston Taylor. She was never known to date and focused her energy on sports when she was young and then art when she got into high school. Michael worked in maintenance and construction and Carla owned a bookstore in town. Carla had lost her battle with cancer while Sarah was still in high school and people said that she and Michael had a very close relationship. Of course, every parent has arguments with their teenage child, but Liam wanted authorities to believe that Sarah's relationship with her father was not as good as other people believed. In the early morning hours of December 3rd, while police were questioning him, Liam took the opportunity to tell the officer that Sarah had been having problems with her father and was talking about going to Canada. Investigators returned to Liam's mother's house the next day to get more information. I went to work, got home from work, got drunk with my buddy, and then I had a knock on the door at 4 o'clock. This okay. is... So, so this yesterday is afternoon, completely, like 2 o'clock is what I think it was like? Yeah, so between 1 and 2, we went to Taco Bell. Right. Let me ask you, did you have your phone around then? I did actually, yeah. Right. It, was, it wasn't until I went to work that I realized I didn't have it on me. Okay. Alright. Um... What was she wearing yesterday, the last time you saw her? Um, wearing a... I, she was wearing a gray sweatshirt. I couldn't tell you the pants or shoes or anything. She could have been wearing jeans, but... she have uh, any, anything on that sweatshirt? Like uh, any kind of logo on I, any, I think know, it was like, just a gray zipper zip up. up yeah I know when I got to her house at one or two o'clock she was just wearing a red t-shirt and uh, black uh, black pair of black like uh, running running shorts or something what do you think she put on jeans maybe yeah she she went up and got dressed before we went to Taco Bell while they were there, he reinforced the idea that Sarah had some mental health issues and had problems with her father. Give me what's going on with her, like, how's she been acting lately? Um, the same? Different? No. Liam, you've known her for since first grade, you said. Yeah. Has she, has she been different than normal lately? Well. And for how long? 
in the past, she has had a tendency to have self-destructive suicidal behavior. I actually know that. How long ago? Years ago. And what was it that she would be self-destructive and suicidal? Um, Sorry. It was over. Stepping on you. Over something her dad did. I'm not too sure because it it was, I think it was my freshman year, sophomore year of high school. Mm -hmm. I'm in my second year of college right now. So four or five years ago. But Mm -hmm. I I remember being with my girlfriend. She was completely obsessed with my girlfriend. And something happened with her dad. My girlfriend had to leave to go take care of her because she was saying, you don't come here right now, I'm going to kill myself. So she's she's made comments like that in the past. Yeah. Do you do you know if she's ever done anything like like maybe like cutting or I, anything like physical that she actually actually I, did harm herself? I have no memory of her actually like hurting herself. Right. And, uh, While he was talking to the investigators, this was the first time that Liam told them that Sarah had broken her house key and gotten into an argument with her father over the phone. He told them the same story again the first time he was brought in for an interview. Do you know her family? Yeah, I know some of her family. You know her dad? Mm-hmm. What's her relationship like with her dad? Not good. When you say not good, what do you mean? I, I can't say that anything's ever gotten violent, but I know that there's a lot of fighting all the time. It's just constant fighting between her and her father. What's the fighting about? Anything. I was with her a week ago, and she uh, broke the key to her house, and her dad called her. She had it on speaker yelling at her, can't, couldn't believe that she did it, right? And then she hangs up the phone, and he calls her right back again, and has the same exact conversation like they didn't do it. They did that three or four times right in front of me, and the dad just had no recollection that they had already had that argument before. And I was just sitting there like, Sarah, if he's calling you again, he's calling you to argue with you. I don't know, like, you don't have to let him do that to you. You can just not answer the phone because there's nothing you can say that you haven't already said to him. So she broke her her house key? Yeah, she bent it. And how did he find out that that happened? She told him, I guess, I guess she texted him or something. Liam seems to be extremely cooperative with investigators. He answered all of their questions and gave them a complete timeline of where Sarah was up until he left her house to go to work. He said that they had left in her car sometime between 1 and 2 o'clock that afternoon and went to Taco Bell. There's surveillance video of them going through the drive through at 2.20 p.m., A few hours later, he left her house to go to work. His car can be seen on a neighbor's surveillance camera leaving the Stern house that day. Of course, he continued to push the narrative that Sarah was having problems with her father, depressed, and wanted to get away. He also told investigators that she had been suicidal years prior. A search began to locate Sarah. Authorities had divers in the frigid water looking for a body and volunteers walked the coastline. The bridge was not extremely high above the Shark River and the river wasn't deep, but the current rushed out into the Atlantic Ocean. It seemed that Liam had thought about that and actually brought the subject up during his first interview. One thing I I want to talk to you guys about was um, if she, she did 
jump off the bridge. What are the odds that she's not somewhere all the way out in the ocean by now? And did she tell you she was going to jump off the bridge? No. If, if she had told me that I that she was going to jump off the bridge, there would have been no way that I could have gone to work that night. I I went to work and I I had one of the best nights of my life. I, I had a bunch of I made a bunch of money. All my tables were good. I had a great time. It definitely I would not have been able to do that if I knew something. To any good investigator, this would be suspicious. It's very common for killers to insert themselves into an investigation in an effort to try to get bits of information. Details about the case that might help them cover their tracks, and details about how likely it is that evidence may be recovered. It's noticeable to me that the investigators never actually answered his question. I don't know if any suspicion was on Liam at this point in the investigation, but I don't think anything had been ruled out. The search in the water didn't turn up any remains, and though family and friends would organize multiple searches, no sign of Sarah has ever been found. Investigators found two surveillance cameras that pointed to the area around where Sarah's car had been abandoned, but it turned out that neither of them had been working. Sarah's neighbors did have a surveillance camera that caught both Sarah and Liam coming and going throughout the day on December 2nd. It looks as though Liam is leaving in the afternoon to go to work, just like he had told investigators. Later that night, at about 11.45pm, Sarah's car can be seen on that surveillance camera leaving the house and it never returns. On December 6th, investigators brought Liam in for an official interview. Who do you live with, Liam? I live with my roommate, uh, Preston. Preston Taylor. Preston Taylor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is he friends with Sarah also? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we all went to high school together. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, where, where are you working now? Uh, Brennan Steakhouse, Neptune City. I also work at uh, Free Willy. It's a Christmas tree place in Wall. What's it called, Free Willy? Free Willy. Liam McAtasney was born on June 29, 1997 in Neptune City, New Jersey. He has an identical twin brother named Seamus, and he also has a sister. His parents, Quinn and Megan McAtasney, separated at some point, but their marital status isn't clear. Liam was homeschooled until the seventh grade when he began attending school with Sarah, who he had been friends with for some time already. It was there that he also became friends with Preston Taylor, and the two would become close as well. After graduating high school, Liam began attending Brookdale Community College. I'm in my second year of college, so yeah. And you, uh, you go to Brookdale, you said? Mm-hmm. What are you studying there? Psychology. I want to pursue some kind of career in law enforcement. You do? Yeah, definitely. Haha, <laughs> well that's not going to happen. It seemed that Liam had recently moved out of his house and began sharing a place with Preston. That house was literally a block over, and the two properties' backyards butted against each other. During the interview, investigators asked Liam a little more about Sarah's life. The first year out of high school, Sarah also took classes at Brookdale. She went to Brookdale last semester, and she just didn't even sign for classes. 
not last semester. Yeah. Last year, she, she did a full year of school. And this year, she hasn't even registered for classes. Neither why? Canada, I guess. She's just been saying she needs to get away from Canada, get away from her dad. Liam pretty quickly turns the focus of the interview to Sarah having problems with her father and wanting to get away. By now, these statements contradict what everyone else has said about Sarah. Her friends and family said that she was a happy-go-lucky girl and wouldn't hurt herself. They were also adamant that she wouldn't take off without telling anyone and she definitely wouldn't have just left her dog Buddy. One of her best friends, Carly Draper, told investigators that Sarah had made plans to hang out with her the evening of the 3rd, making them question her desire to take her own life even more. Obviously, this made investigators question why Liam was telling them this. Uh, I know that when her mom died, she had money that was supposed to go to her, and her dad took that from her. That's kind of been the big thing over the years that she's always said. The dad took money from her, dad took money from her. She's, she definitely has some trust issues because over the past few weeks, um, she's been just packaging things up in containers and moving them to other people's houses. I actually have some containers in my basement right now. I know that there's, there were containers in the Drapers. I know there were containers in the Reynolds house. Uh, how many how many containers did she move to your house? Uh, I believe there's three in my basement, three or four. What kind of containers? They're just big, big gray containers. Like bins? Of yeah, bins, 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 yeah. Um, and then there's one. What, did you look in them? I haven't looked in them, but I could tell you that one of them was just a plastic, there was a clear one, red top on it, and the hole inside of it was just VHS tapes. I don't know why she would package up, I mean, the container's this big, just full of VHS. I don't know why anyone would need a VHS tape. Where, where are they in house? They're just in my basement. Why did, she, why did she give those to you? Because she didn't want her dad to have them. This is where the subject of Sarah's inheritance came into the picture. It will become an important aspect of the case. It seemed that Sarah had inherited money from her mother and that she kept it in cash. She had some cash in a safe and some other cash in a safety deposit box at the bank. Liam told the investigators about the cash that Sarah had found in her house. What did she tell you she was stopping the bank? Something to do with her money. I don't know. She had found money in the Avon house a few months ago. And uh, she has a lockbox full of money in there. I don't know, she was taking money out, putting money in there. A lockbox full of money where? In Carney Bank. How do you know? She's told me. What did she tell you about that? Uh, it's just that that's where her money is. Whose money did she find? She said that it must have belonged to her mother. What she thought was her mom left it for her hid it in the house, so if her dad were to uh, take her money, she would still have money left for her by her mom. That's How much money? I couldn't tell you. She, she 
she never told me. She said it could be, she told me a range. She said it could be from 20 grand to 100 grand. She wasn't sure. She wasn't sure how much money she found? Yeah. Oh, does that make sense to you, that you wouldn't be sure how much money you found? Well, she told me the condition of the money was pretty bad. Like it was all stuck together. Well, it was old, old bills. So that could have been a reason for not knowing. I don't know if some of it was destroyed or water damage or whatever could have happened over the years. She, she told you she didn't know how much it was. Yeah. So Liam was under the impression that Sarah may have had up to $100,000 in cash. This is easily an amount of money that someone might kill over. Of course, Liam continued to push the narrative that Sarah was hiding it from her father. He had previously said that she had trust issues and had been boxing up her belongings and storing them at other people's houses. That was true, but the reasoning behind it was unclear. In the days before her disappearance, Sarah had brought plastic totes and boxes to various people's houses, including Liam's. He had a few of those containers in his basement. Liam told investigators that Michael Stern owned another house nearby in Avon-by-the-Sea, but he was a hoarder and it was too full of stuff to live in. The house they were living in was her grandmother's. Then he told a story about how angry and violent Michael could be. One of the, the family members came over and trimmed the bush, the walkway, up the stairs to make it easier for the grandma. And um, this is a direct quote. The dad said, I'll, I'll crush their skulls in and burn their houses down if they do that again. Like, he was literally threatening to kill them over a bush. That might have been the night, actually, that she, uh, she Snapchatted me and was saying, uh, you know, the, the day I was asking if he hurt her or anything like that, because she was hysterical that night. And I'm not the only one that knows this. Her, her other family members, I know Shirley knows this. I know. You don't know who the family members that turned the bush? No, I, I have no idea. She told you this? Yeah. She told me this, and we actually even spoke about it in front of Shirley and uh, Shirley's daughter. I can't what was it about? Father said what? Uh, he would smash their skulls in and burn their houses down. It's clear that Liam is trying to lead investigators to the idea that Sarah either committed suicide by jumping off the bridge, or that she took off to Canada because her father is such a horrible, violent man. Investigators obviously want to know more details about whether or not Michael had been violent with his daughter. Did she tell you if her dad hit her about that? She said that he didn't. He, he didn't? Yeah, because, believe me, I, I've done nothing but just try to find out if there was any physical violence between her and her father. That's, I've always been trying to get that out of her, and she's never told me. What did she say about her dad's girlfriend? She actually likes the girlfriend. She does. Yeah. She, um, she, she said nothing but good things about the girlfriend. 
It doesn't sound like Liam is willing to go so far as to claim Michael was ever physically abusive to Sarah, but he does do a good job of making it sound like the problems between them have been going on for quite some time and that he's been the caring friend who's been looking out for her. It seemed as though investigators might have believed that Liam was covering for Sarah and wanted to know if she really did go to Canada. It's not unusual for a good friend to keep a secret like that. Is she in Canada? I, I couldn't tell you. I can honestly tell you that. I, I'm one of her closest friends, and I have no idea why she wouldn't tell me anything before she left. Like the, the last time I say goodbye to her, it was just like any other day. Like, see you later, I gotta go to work. Nothing. She didn't say anything. But that week, um, many of her relatives had been over the house, and uh, uh, I think her name was Michelle, or I don't know, it started with an M, but I just remember hearing Sarah say, uh, this might be the last time I see you because I might be in Canada by the next time. I I would I don't something along those lines. Who did she say that to? It started with an M. It might be Michelle. It might be Michaela. Who was that? It's her aunt Shirley's daughter. Aunt Shirley's daughter. Yeah, that's what I know. Liam claims that she had told a family member that she might not see her again because she's going to Canada, and I can't find any information that investigators confirmed that. But it's possible she expressed her desire to go to Canada to this person. Liam is likely exaggerating what Sarah said to build on the idea that she ran off to escape her father. After a few hours, the investigators were notified that both Liam's mother and father had hired lawyers for him and they stopped the interview. But that didn't mean they didn't still have questions, a lot of them. Though the initial idea that Sarah had jumped from the bridge made sense, the more information they got from various people, the more it just didn't seem like what had happened. It turned out that there was a second 911 call on the morning of December 3rd, where a man reported the abandoned car on the Route 35 bridge, and this person said he saw a man near the car. That definitely gave authorities pause to write this disappearance off as a suicide. Since they weren't able to question Liam anymore, investigators decided that they would talk to Preston Taylor. He was close to Liam and they lived together, so they hoped to get some clarification from him. Unfortunately, nothing that Preston said made any sense. Well, the next thing we know, four in the morning, the police came pounded on the door. They asked him a couple of questions. When did you get up when you heard the door knock? I didn't even hear it. He just came in, woke me up like five minutes after everyone left. And what did he say? He was like, dude, the police were just here. I was like, about what? And he was like, we just asked him a bunch of questions about Sarah. fast asleep at this point? Yeah. And he comes into your room? Yeah. How does he wake you up? He just opened the door and yeah, I woke up. Okay. And you were looking at him like, what are you doing? Yeah. What? I'm sleeping. And he tells you the police were there asking questions about Sarah? Yeah. And did you say, like, why are they coming here? Like, what was the, Tell us about the conversation. 
looked at him and was like, what do you mean? He was like, I don't know. Um, how, did he, how did he appear at that point? I didn't really get a good look at him. I was in my room when it was dark. Absolutely. How long, how long was he in the room again? Like a minute or two, and I was like, two glasses to wipe the And what happened? I fell back asleep. He left the room? Yeah. Initially, this isn't too suspicious. He's a young man who had been drinking the night before and was woken up in the middle of the night. It seems reasonable that he wouldn't be clear on all of the details, but what about the next day? When you, you got woke, when he woke you up at, in the morning, what, 3 o'clock in the morning? What time? He said it was like 4, four o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Um, like you go back to sleep and you wake up, did you follow up with him? Like, yo, well, why, why were the cops here? What was going on? I didn't really think about it being, uh, like, hungover and crowded in the morning. Did the cops come, did the cops come to your, park your house on a regular basis? This is the first time they came to your house? Yeah. Well, no, well, there was one time beforehand when we were, like, moving stuff back and forth to the house when we were moving in. Okay. That's <clears throat> um, so... Liam wakes up on Saturday, and he doesn't talk about Sarah. He doesn't. The cops were just at the house a couple hours earlier, asking questions about her. And he's not talking to you about her. I asked him why they were there, but I really don't remember the conversation. I don't remember much after, like about midnight, going to bed, and then first like half hour, hour after waking up, it's a little fuzzy. Um, so I don't drink too often. So the police came to your house at 4 o'clock in the morning, and you're not at least curious as to what it was about? And then the next morning, Liam's best friend is missing, and he's not talking about it? If my best friend went missing, that's all I'd be talking about. Where could she be? Where could we look? Who can we call? Preston said he asked Liam about it, but doesn't remember the conversation. That's weird. Investigators had already seen some red flags with Liam, but now they were sure that something was wrong. Eventually, Preston said that Liam's mom came over and they were crying, but he still doesn't really have any information. So you're having a conversation with all these people about Sarah, who is the police are at your house four o'clock in the morning. She's missing. You just find out that her car is found on the bridge. And now Liam is telling you that he was with her you don't remember anything that he said to you? Is that... Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. You have no recollection at all about what he told you he did with her? Didn't specify anything about what he did. Did he say that he was at her house? Did he say that they went to the movies? Did he say that they went to the beach? What, what did he say they did? If he didn't say anything, I missed it. Okay. How did you know that he was even with her? I was asked why they questioning you, and he said, well, that was the last person out there yesterday. Okay. And did anybody say, what did you do? Nobody?
Liam had said that he was the last person with her, but nobody wanted to know what they did. Again, if your best friend is missing and you were the last person to see them, wouldn't you be talking about what you did and maybe retracing your steps? According to Preston, Liam said, Sarah's missing and I was the last person to see her, and then they all just shrugged and moved on. Investigators asked Preston what he thought happened. What do you think, Shaq? Now, Liam and Preston are the only two people who believe Sarah jumped off of the bridge. The two best friends who lived together. Authorities were beginning to believe that foul play was more likely than suicide. Unfortunately, they don't have any idea what actually happened, let alone any evidence that would lead them to make an arrest. They continued investigating. They went to Carney Bank and looked in her safe deposit box. Inside, they found $25,250 in cash. The money was old and in bad shape, and it was the money she had found inside the house in Avon-by-the-Sea. It seemed that only a couple of people knew that Sarah had found that money. Sarah's aunt, who told her not to tell anybody about it, and Liam. So now the question became, why would someone take their own life not long after they found twenty-five grand? Not that money solves everyone's problems, but why would she lock that money in a safety deposit box if she were going to commit suicide? Or, why would she take off and go to Canada and not take that money with her? It wasn't in a checking account, so it's not like she could have accessed the money via debit card. She would have been in Canada with $25,000 in a metal box in New Jersey. It didn't add up. Anthony Curry was another person that had met Liam in high school and the two became friends. While still in high school, Anthony started writing and making films. Liam would regularly feed his ideas for short films to Anthony, but it was one particular story that got Anthony thinking differently about his friend. Around Thanksgiving, about a week before Sarah went missing, Anthony was at Liam's house hanging out. Liam told him that he had an idea to kill Sarah, specifically that he was going to strangle her, and then throw her off the bridge with the help of a friend. Fast forward a week and Anthony heard about Sarah's disappearance, but he didn't immediately connect it to Liam's story. He said that Liam would tell him wild stories all the time and he just didn't put the two together. It wasn't until Liam began contacting Anthony daily, asking to meet him, that he started connecting the dots. Liam would send him messages on Snapchat, which is an app where the messages will eventually disappear. The messages said, quote, I need to tell you in person, and quote, I can't say anything on my phone. He also sent a message that said, quote, My cash is low quality, they wouldn't take it, that's all I can say. This is an important detail because the cash that Sarah had was old and in poor condition. This connects Liam to having the cash that was stolen from Sarah. In January of 2017, Anthony went to authorities about the story that Liam had told him around Thanksgiving. It was then that investigators put a hidden camera in Anthony's car and had him agree to meet with Liam. 
based on what the defense will claim during the trial. It's important to note that the video records from before Anthony ever meets Liam, and there's no evidence anywhere that Anthony talked to Liam about auditioning for a role in a movie. On January 31st, the video records for almost 15 minutes while Anthony is driving to a parking lot at Bradley Beach. Liam drove himself there and then got into Anthony's car. It's good, man. Liam pats Anthony down to make sure he's not wearing a wire. After that, he immediately blurts out that he killed Sarah. Anthony would later say in an interview that it was like Liam was itching to tell someone. He explained that he was questioned by law enforcement, but the case had moved up the federal level, and now he had the FBI looking at him. Got the FBI. So you've been laying low, I guess. Oh, yeah. And not even, that's not even the worst part. The worst part of it is, I thought I was walking out 50 grand, 100 grand in my pocket. She had one safe... And she took money out, and she only had 10 grand. And this money, I don't know if it was Bert or something, it's fucking old money, terrible quality. Right. I don't even know if I can put any of it in the fucking bank. Right, because it'll probably, probably look sketchy, right? Look sketchy, and it'll look like it's Sarah's money, especially if it's a federal investigation. Right. If they're looking for the guy who has the fucking old money right because it's probably like the the old dollar bills and shit it's not like the new shits because the hundred dollar bills are changing up exactly no it's from the 80s dude it's old and then what she found in her house or something huh she found it in her house yeah she found a lot of money and i didn't i didn't even get a quarter of it this asshole is casually talking about killing a friend he had since he was six years old someone that people said was one of his best and closest friends. And he's ranting about how he wasn't able to steal enough money from her. The sheer nerve of someone to kill a friend, someone who trusted him, over money and then complain that they didn't get enough money is absolutely insane. This is exactly the person who should be in prison for the rest of their lives. He isn't a human being. In the video, he told Anthony that he hid the money in Sandy Hook, and that he and Preston had gone to rob a drug dealer earlier that day, but it turned out that the guy had moved. They found his new house and were planning to rob him the next day. Despite hearing his friend confess to murder, Anthony is still the voice of reason and tells Liam that maybe they shouldn't be robbing people while the FBI were investigating them. Seems reasonable enough, but Liam thinks he's smarter than the authorities. I had planned Sarah's situation for me to 
be interrogated by cops. Like, that was the whole part of my plan, to make me look not guilty. What like, did you, what did you even throw it off? You didn't hear about it? It was all over the news. Right, but I didn't know if you, like, went through Yeah. And the worst part is, we threw off the bridge, and the body never showed up. It's probably frozen. It's probably all the way out in the ocean. She's probably all the way out in the ocean. Man, where have we heard that before? The worst part about this video is how absolutely proud of himself Liam seems. He's so smug, and as if confessing to murder isn't enough, he describes exactly how he did it. She goes to walk out the front door. I choke her out, drag her. My biggest problem was the dog, and her dog laid there and watched as I killed her. Didn't do anything. Her fucking dog. What, what kind, kind of, of dog? Yeah, what kind of dog is that? It's like some. Was it a big? It dog? looks like a beagle, but it's like the size of a Great Dane. Jeez. Nobody was there. Grandma. No, there. nobody was there. Even her dad wasn't there. He was in Florida. Yeah, you said that. He was yeah. There. So, I have to leave. I fucking dropped my phone at Sarah's house. My phone was at Sarah's house. Like. Wait, you left your phone? Yeah, I lost it. I couldn't find it. I had to go to work. I had timed everything out so what that... What the fuck? Why did you take your phone? You should have left it in your fucking pocket. Dude. What were you doing? Strangling someone? I couldn't find it, dude. It ended up being out in the driveway. Oh, it must have dropped out of your pocket. It must have dropped when I was crawling to the, get in the car. But I choke her out, drag her into the back, put her in a bathroom... And then I had to go straight to work. So mm. Preston came over, took the body, put it in the bushes. And then I was at work. I had a full, like, night of work. Except I left work a couple times, which looks sketchy. Right. I look for my phone, though, right. which is a reasonable, like, thing to do. Yeah, you had to look for your phone. Yeah, you can't which is kind of, like, me losing my phone was kind of a good thing. Because the cops are like, oh, he's hanging out with her. He lost her phone. his phone. He's going back and forth between his house looking for it and then I get off work that night go straight over uh Preston and I go over to her house take her safe bring that over to my house before we do anything then we take her body out of the bushes and drag it over to her back fence and I crawl get into her car and I back up. She ha- there's a security camera across the street. Right. So I had to back. I had to act like her. I watched her every time she backed out. She does the same thing. So I backed out exactly like she did and drove did off. Did you put her in the trunk? No, I put her in the passenger seat of her own car. And then Preston and I had these walkie-talkies to communicate with. We just used them again. So I was driving. And I had her buckled in, in the passenger Right, so she looks like she's just sleeping. She's just sitting up. Liam planned this murder out months in advance and had enlisted Preston to help him. He killed her before he went to work and had Preston hide her body in the bushes. Liam mentions that he couldn't find his phone before he went to work, which comes up a lot in other videos. Every time he talks to law enforcement, he mentions that he lost his phone, but it doesn't ever seem to implicate him in anything, so I don't feel like it's a big part of the story. 
It seems that Liam lost his phone somewhere at Sarah's house and he wants investigators to know that in case they find it there. He wants to make sure they know he lost it earlier in the day and that it doesn't make him a suspect. It helps that he lost his phone before he went to work and other people corroborated that he was missing his phone when he got there. It's not clear when his phone was found, but I believe it was in her driveway and, at least for a while, it may have been theorized that it fell out of his pocket when he got in his car to go to work. After Liam got off work, he and Preston took her to the bridge. My plan was, for me, I underestimated my own strength and how much a dead body would weigh. Because... It's lint, it's lint weight. Yeah. I got up on top of the bridge to throw her off. My, my plan was I was going to throw her off, run over, jump over the divider and get into Preston's car. And I go up, open the door, unhook her, pull her out, start dragging her to throw her over, and then cars start coming up. I see, like, headlights coming. I try to get her over and I can't fuck my leg up. Like, the weight from her body, like, made me fall and my leg, like, went up. So now I'm limping, my leg's fucked up, and there's three cars coming up. So I grab her body. Dude, I had superhuman strength, and I threw it in the car. And I fucking picked it up, and her feet were up here, and her foot, was, her, her head was down there. And three cars go by. And I'm fucking losing my shit, because that easily could have been a cop. Yeah. And then... I mean, the police station is, like, right there. Yeah, it? yeah. And then Preston comes over the bridge, goes around, makes a U-turn, comes up behind me. The two of us throw the body over, and then we were out. Oh, so you needed help? I needed help, yeah. During the trial, the defense claimed that that video was Liam auditioning for a role. That's what Liam's mother still believes, and at least in her case, I can understand a mother not wanting to accept that her son is a cold, emotionless killer. But as a trial defense, it's beyond ridiculous. In order for that to be true, Anthony went to the police expressing fake concern about a story Liam told him. Authorities put a hidden camera in Anthony's car and then Anthony told Liam ahead of time to meet him in a parking lot, get into his car, and immediately begin auditioning for a role. No talking about it ahead of time, straight into character. Oh, and that character was him admitting to killing Sarah for money. It doesn't make sense. In that scenario, Anthony would have to have some motivation to frame Liam. Maybe Anthony was the killer, but he didn't live in Neptune City anymore, didn't spend any time with Sarah, and likely had no knowledge of the cash she had found. He would have had to drive there from New York, kill her and dump her body, then steal her money and bury two safes in the area before driving back to New York. No. The defense probably meant that this wasn't an audition that was set up ahead of time and Liam just acted in an attempt to impress his friend who was a filmmaker. So he made up a story and then Preston confessed to participating in that made up story? There's a buried safe that perfectly matches what Liam said in his made up story? Or maybe Preston killed Sarah and is framing Liam. But then how did Liam make up a story that perfectly matched the murder that someone else committed? and Preston would have only known about the money Sarah had found if Liam had told him. How could Liam have made up a story claiming to have gotten the exact same amount of money that was actually stolen? It doesn't make sense. 
What happened to Sarah is either a convoluted conspiracy theory about Liam being framed for her murder, or he killed her and confessed on hidden camera. Which is more likely? The next day, police arrested Liam and Preston. Liam refused to talk to the police, but Preston spilled everything. You gotta lay it out for us as to why it happened, alright, and why he did what he did. Money. Okay. How much money are we talking about? He says that she had anywhere from upwards of fifty to hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars left to her in cash from her mom. Okay. Where did she get the money? From her mom when she passed away. Okay. She found a. This is his story. He found a, she found a box in their old house in Avon <clears throat> that they keep just for storage that had a note and a whole bunch of money. And he wanted to try and get his hands on as much of it as possible. Okay. Did he tell you ahead of time that he was going to do this? Yeah. Right. How, how long do you think he had he planned to do this? About a month wasn't too serious at first. Okay. Do you remember the first time he told you about it? The first time he told me about it, him and uh, him and Sean came into Clancy's where I was working, and he just said, like, no intentions at this time, but Sarah just found a bunch of money, and that was it. And then. It wasn't until about a month or two later he said that he was coming up with the idea. Okay, what did he, what did he tell you he planned on doing? Taking her out and then find somewhere to dispose of the body. Okay, when you say taking her out, what do you mean? Strangling her. Okay, and then he was going to dispose of her body? Mm-hmm. All right, did he tell you what he planned to do with her body? No. Preston admitted that Liam had told him about the money that Sarah had found and came up with a plan to strangle her and steal the money. He goes on to tell investigators that on December 2nd, Liam came home before he went to work and told him that he had killed Sarah. Liam asked him to go to her house, hide her body, and look for his phone. Preston looked around but couldn't find the phone, so then he dragged Sarah's body out the back door and put it in the bushes. Then he went back home and waited for Liam to get off work. When he came home from work, he told me, okay, follow me. And we went over. He grabbed a safe, put it in my car, and then he got Sarah's body into Sarah's car, took her car, had me go meet him. I intersect at the bridge. Okay. And when I got up to the bridge, he'd already put her over and okay. um, he jumped so in my car. And he jumped in your car? Yeah. Not only did Preston confess to exactly what he and Liam had done, but he took investigators to her house and pointed out exactly what he had done the night of December 2nd. Dragged her over here and kind of sat her under the bushes right here. These are the bushes that you place Sarah in? Mm-hmm. Okay, and yes. how, did, how did you position her when you brought her out here? She was just laying on her side like this. Okay, which direction was her face? 
facing outward. Okay. And with her feet down here and her head up here. Okay. So her head was up here and, and her face was facing Detective Catalana? Yeah. Okay. And what, what type of position was she in? Was she, um, was she laying on her side? Was she laying flat? Was she laying on her stomach with her head turned? She was laying on her left side. Preston walked the investigators through exactly how he had hidden Sarah's body. Then he showed them exactly what they did with it once Liam got off work. So you have, you're carrying Sarah by her legs? Are her legs dragging on the ground or are they up in the air? I was like holding them up okay. in the air. And what part of Sarah's body was Liam holding? Her torso. Okay. And he carried her over to this fence near the safe was. Hoisted her up and over, threw the safe over, the two of us jumped over, and I got in my vehicle, and Liam got in Sarah's vehicle. Okay. And um, when you say you hoisted Sarah over, can you just explain how you did that and what, what happened when you hoisted her over this fence? Liam jumped over the fence first. I lifted her up, he grabbed her by the torso from the other side of the fence and pulled her over as I lifted her legs up. So, okay. um, Did Liam over. maintain control of her once she was over the fence or did she drop um, onto the ground? He kept hold of her. Okay. Um, now, you said you threw the safe, so you picked the safe up from this side and threw it over onto the other side? Yeah. And then you jumped the fence? Yes. Okay. Who put the safe in the car? Um, Do you recall? If you don't remember, that's okay. I don't recall. Okay. Um, at any point, did, did um, Sarah's car come any closer um, to where Sarah was located at this point with Liam on the side? Or did how did she get from here to the car? Liam dragged her over to the car and sat her in the passenger seat while I was putting the safe in my car. Okay. And did you see him dragging her? Yeah. Okay, and he, so did he drag her from this location right to where her car was? Yeah. Okay. And um, what happened when you got when he got to the car? Did you help him put Sarah in the car? I helped him keep her in while I got the door closed, yeah. Okay. Um, and how was she positioned in the car? Sitting upright. Okay. Um, did she have a seatbelt on? No. Okay. Um, if somebody were driving down the road and looking into that car, what would they... What would they see? They would have seen Liam driving a car and Sarah assuming that she was asleep, asleep in the passenger seat. Okay. Um, and uh, what happens after Sarah's in the car? Liam made the K-turn and took off. I made the K-turn right behind him and we both made a right out of this, right out of this dead end. And where I kept going straight, he made a right and took some roundabout way of getting over to the bridge. Okay, and you traveled to which bridge? The 35 bridge to Belmar going okay. southbound. Um, was that the last time that you traveled to Sarah's house? Yes. Okay. When they returned, Liam took a safe out of Sarah's house and put it into Preston's car. Then he and Preston loaded Sarah into her own car. 
They sat Sarah in the passenger seat, and according to them, if anyone saw their car on their way to the bridge, it would just look like Liam was driving and Sarah was asleep in the passenger seat. The plan was for Liam to pull onto the shoulder going southbound on the bridge, while Preston pulled over going northbound. Liam was supposed to pull Sarah out of the car, throw her body off the bridge, run across the road, and hop into Preston's car. But it seemed he wasn't strong enough to do that on his own. What is the reason why your car was first parked on the northbound side along the uh, median here? Um, and then you moved it and came behind Sarah's car. Liam was going to throw the body over himself and then run across and jump over the median and get in the passenger seat of my car. But he tripped on the curb and found that he wasn't strong enough to pull Sarah up and over himself. So he radioed me on the walkie-talkie and told me to loop around and to come help him get her over. Okay. And when he radioed to you on the walkie-talkie, um, is that when you proceeded to head northbound on Route 35 and turn around? Yes. And then you came and uh, traveled southbound on, on, the, on Route 35 and approached the bridge and parked behind uh, Sarah's car? Yes. Okay. And um, besides uh, throwing Sarah's body over the bridge, did you throw any other property or anything else over the bridge that day? Preston mentions using walkie-talkies while they were in separate vehicles, and those walkie-talkies were found in Liam's possession. After Preston helped Liam throw Sarah's body off of the bridge, they both got back into Preston's car and drove away. Preston explained that Liam crouched down in the car so he wouldn't be seen on traffic cameras. Liam took the money from Sarah's safe and hid it in his house for a while. Um, additionally, you had um, indicated to us that um, for a period of time that um, the money uh, that was stolen from Sarah was uh, placed somewhere in, in your house as well. Is that correct? Yes. And um, where... Uh, where did you um, tell us that money was stored? It was stored in the attic underneath the insulation in between the rafters. Okay. And was there one location in the attic that the money was stored or um, were there multiple locations uh, that that money was stored? Two specific locations. One, four rafters to the right of the entrance to the attic. And then again, it was later moved into the very far corner above the driveway. Okay. Um, and it is your understanding, is it your understanding that that money has since been re removed from the attic? Yes. Okay. And where did that money get placed after it was removed from the attic? It was put into Liam's safe and then buried at uh, Hartshorn Park. Up on Sandy Hook. Okay. And um, did you ever go back up into the attic to ensure that there was no money left? No. Okay, so do you know whether or not there is money that still remains up in the attic? No. Okay. Sarah's safe was buried near a concrete wall in Shark River Park. Liam eventually took the money out of the attic and put it into a new safe and buried it in Sandy Hook. Preston took authorities to the locations of two buried safes. One was the one taken from Sarah's house, and the other was a Sentry safe with $9,350 in cash inside. 
The cash was old and in a similar condition to the cash found in Sarah's safe deposit box. When Liam was arrested, on his key ring was a key that opened the safe that was found in Sandy Hook. That directly connected Liam to some of the old money that Sarah had found in the house, and it was an amount that matched what he had told Anthony in his car. Preston pleaded guilty to robbery, conspiracy to commit robbery, disturbing or desecrating human remains, tampering with evidence, and two counts of hindering prosecution. He was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Liam has maintained his innocence to this day, so he went to trial where his defense presented their ridiculous argument that their client was auditioning for a role. He was charged with murder, felony murder, conspiracy to commit robbery, robbery, hindering prosecution, and tampering with evidence. During the trial, Michael Stern testified about what it was like when he found out that Sarah was missing. He described the fear and panic that he felt. He described their relationship as being nothing like how Liam had described multiple times to investigators. The prosecution showed text messages between Michael and Sarah that showed no signs of there being a tumultuous relationship between the two. Liam and Preston were the only two people who claimed that Sarah had problems with her father and it was only so Liam could move suspicion off of himself. Of course, the biggest problem with the prosecution's case was that there was no body and the defense tried to use that by claiming Sarah might not be dead. They called a witness to testify that he had seen Sarah walking down the street on the morning of February 3rd. It would have been after the car was found abandoned on the bridge. The witness said that he saw her that morning and then recognized her days later when he saw the missing person's flyer. The first problem with this testimony is that he could have easily seen a different young woman with long dark hair and thought it looked like a picture of Sarah days later. But even worse was that his original testimony was that he had seen her on the morning of the second. The testimony didn't seem to prove anything. The jury found Liam McAtasney guilty on all counts, plus an aggravating factor that increased the penalty for murder from 30 years to life to life without parole. That's exactly what the judge sentenced him to, plus another 10 years for desecration of human remains that is set to be served consecutively. Liam appealed his conviction, and it was immediately denied. Despite his claims of innocence, the evidence that he killed Sarah is just too overwhelming. Liam will remain locked behind bars for the rest of his life, and that's exactly where he should be. He killed a friend who trusted him over money and then talked about that murder with callous disregard for the human life he had taken. Not only that, but he bragged about his plans to commit another robbery and said that he would kill anyone that was there. Well, I mean, the drug dealers, you better be careful. You hope they don't have a gun or something. No, they're, they're frat guys. Yeah. They're all out at an event. That's the thing. They're all out doing this frat event when oh, so the gonna, house is empty. You're going to hit the house when nobody's in there. Yeah. And if anybody's in there, I'm going to kill them and bury their body. Liam McAtasney is a monster who would have continued to destroy lives if he had remained a free man. He belongs in a cage, and that will be his home for the rest of his life. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online.
This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.